Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we are joined with Mike and Anne Burrows. How are you two both doing today? Doing really good, really good. Good Good to be here hanging out together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, we met in Nelson, Mike, at um, Vaughn's place, and Vaughn, if if you... I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast yet, but Vaughn, he is the one that composed that intro that we just heard. Yeah, and he's a, he's an amazing guy. I mean, just seeing his recording studio was was pretty epic. I mean, he he built it himself, and yeah, um, and he's he's pretty talented. So it was it was fun meeting him. He's incredible. I'll just do a quick testimony on that. About three weeks before we met Vaughn, Laura and I were praying about getting a professional intro and outro done. And then when we get to Nelson, about two weeks later, um, we had a contact from him from a guy called um, Jared Van Berkel, who's Fantail Studios director. And um, we ended up meeting this guy. He's got a professional studio, and he's like, I'll do a recording for you. And it was going to cost heaps of money to do it. And Vaughn's heart for the ministry was just like, yep, let's do it. So while we were (laughs) staying with him, I've never actually stayed with someone who's had their own recording studio before <laughs> and the chances of that were so little and I was like that's got to be an answer to prayer right there so yeah very very cool um so yeah well, let's jump into you guys you guys um work with open doors don't you that's right serving yeah. the the persecuted church the persecuted church that's i mean when you hear that in the western world you most churches aren't really persecuted if you compare it to the persecution in the, in the New Testament and things like that, are they? Um, but you work with the persecuted church, like the full-on persecuted church? Well, that's right. I mean, full-on is definitely a word you can use to describe it. Um, so we're talking about Christians who have been imprisoned, who are beaten, who are tortured, who are harassed you know, for, for their faith, simply for being Christians, for being believers in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we are working with these ones. I mean, basically, we help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And so it is in the toughest places on earth for mm. the gospel that we're there standing with, supporting, strengthening, and encouraging believers under persecution. Wow, wow. And all over the world, loads of different nations and countries. It is, it is. We uh, Every year we produce what we call the World Watch List, and so it's the top 50 countries where persecution is the most severe around the world. So we rank the countries, we uh, score them out of 100 persecution points, and then we publish... How do you get a persecution point? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it, it is. So persecution can come in a lot of forms. We, we call it, uh, you can have smash persecution or squeeze persecution. Smash is outright violence. Squeeze is pressures, daily pressures. And so we look at um, number of violent attacks per calendar year. That's smash persecution. But we also look at what it's like to live as a Christian under the influence of the, the government, the influence of the community, the influence of family, the influence of other church structures around them. And so we, we build up a picture of what it's like to, to number one, how hard is it to find Jesus? And number two, how hard is it to keep your faith in that context, in that environment? And so we build up this picture, we give it a score, and then we rank those countries and, and publish those, those top 50. 
Wow. Wow. Okay. So that's that's what you do as a global, like the whole Open Doors does that together. What's your individual roles, Anne and Mike, with with Open Doors? Awesome. Yeah, well, we're part of the New Zealand base of Open Doors and uh, our role is really just um, bringing advocacy and awareness for in New Zealand, fundraising, but also prayer support. But then on the flip side, helping to encourage and stir the New Zealand church in our own faith because as soon as you hear you know, one or two stories of these people who follow Jesus, no matter the cost, it really does stir your own faith. It definitely has for me. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's where it's so powerful, isn't it? The, the persecution, um, you can almost go in any other organization or religion or anything like that the persecution uh would stamp out the cause or anything like that with christianity when they're persecuted i see it like wind going into a flame like the embers and it fans it and it just gets hotter gets stronger and just the church has been able to fan into flame the cause of christ even more so when they try the more they try to stamp it out the the stronger it becomes. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> the more he fights, the more angry yeah. he gets, the bigger he gets. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It is so much like that. And we, we see that in the book of Acts, you know, when persecution came, the church spread. And, and in fact, persecution has been there ever since the beginning. I mean, mm. Abel was killed because he offered God a better sacrifice than what Cain did. And mm. so even there, the early prophets and then the early church and then into the church today. Mm. And so because of that... Our mission is actually not to stop persecution. Yeah. And so there's a lot of organizations and they try to stop the cause for which they're fighting for. Mm. For us, what we do is we help Christians stand in the midst of the persecution that they face. Yeah. In fact, what you can do, if you wanted to, you could potentially stop persecution globally. All you have to do is tell Christians to keep their faith to themselves if they no longer share the gospel, if they're not salt and light in the community. If they're not being the Christians that they're called to be. Exactly that, fulfilling the call that we have on our lives. And Mm. so um, should they keep Christianity to themselves? Because it's really when they are sharing their faith. Yeah. That is when persecution really takes place. And so, mm. you know, what a, what a message and a, and a challenge to us in our Western context, mm. because sometimes we can be the underground church in New Zealand. Not, yeah, not true. Our faith. Yeah. Without yeah. even doing it, just, just not doing what God's telling you to do. That's right. <laughs> not That's not right. being the uh, – one of our pastors said once, uh, he had a great, uh, a great um, – message and he used the analogy of when he would do the dishes for his wife and then he would look at his wife and be like you know waiting for a thank you or something like that (laughs) and she just looks at him and goes i'm not gonna thank you for that that's part of your responsibility is to work in that area as a husband wow and um he used that as a comparison to being a christian sometimes Mm. when we you know do the good deed as a christian or you know we go out and evangelize as the christian it's like we're waiting for the reward from from god and i feel like god's going to look at us Mm. like his wife didn't go that's your responsibility (laughs) as a christian Like, yeah. what do you want to pat on the back for for being yeah. a citizen of heaven? Like, exactly. <laughs> that's just what we're called exactly. to do. 
It's it's amazing actually because a lot of the countries that we work in, um, Christians literally wouldn't wouldn't be persecuted if they didn't share the gospel. It's like it's not illegal to be a Christian, but mm. um, they they are persecuted or you know harassed or lose their jobs or you know get put in prison because they're actually sharing their faith. Yeah. But um, we have a friend who has an incredible ministry and. He actually says when you don't share the gospel, you're actually partnering with the persecutors because you're stopping oh, the spread of the gospel. That, that's that's a deep thing to I say. Know. Like, oh, I, I, I even feel a bit convicted from hearing that a little bit. No, same. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that's a good goal. conviction, eh? Yeah. You know. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what does your um, working with open doors, what does that look like for you guys? I know you're in New Zealand um, doing it, and you're about to head to Australia. Um, and is that to do with open doors as well? Yes, yeah, so we're heading to Australia next week, and so that's our mid-year team time together. Um, but but regularly from week to week, my particular role is as relationship manager is to travel across New Zealand and sharing the the message of the persecuted church, and mm. so it really is a a, a two um, pronged ministry. Uh, I serve the persecuted church by raising awareness, raising prayer support, raising financial support for believers under persecution. But I also help to disciple, really, the Church of New Zealand Mm. by sharing some of the stories and some of the lessons that we can learn from Mm. believers under persecution because I think that they can be some of the greatest mentors for our faith. Absolutely. These are ones that endure so much and yeah. their faith remains strong and intact yeah. through it all. And and it really does feel like now a current relevant message for us mm. and to to have strong, robust faith. Mm. We, we don't know what it's going to look like in, in New Zealand in five, ten years' time. Who knows? But can we learn some of the lessons from the persecuted church now? Can we look at our faith in the context of life and death. I mean, Galatians 2.20, it's no longer us who live, but Christ lives in me. And this is the, the kind of lifestyle that persecuted believers live in. You know, either way, something dies. Mm. You know, to, to gain our life, we have to lose it. Mm. And I mean, the, we're talking about extreme stories, and it's, sometimes it can be hard to relate here in New Zealand, but at least to be aware and to understand the spiritual battle that we're involved mm. in, uh, I feel like the, these stories and, and this ministry really does help to, to shed light on that. Absolutely. I think um, there's a great quote that is, you know, uh, life is the best teacher um, because, you know, you're always just living life itself, yet those le- life is brutal. But then it goes to the next level when it's, life as a Christian being persecuted <laughs> and how do we teach those about that persecution the fundamentals of what it's like to stand strong in your faith when when you might go to prison for it that that would totally ch- like I, I do that probably runs through my head a little bit how many Christians would stay in church if everybody if the next day they're saying all right that's going to be illegal to do this? to preach or to pray or anything like that. And if you continue to do it, you're going to go to prison. I wonder how many would be prepared. And that's because we live in such a cosy society and it can brainwash us a little bit. I love hearing the stories of the persecuted church because it gives us a wake-up. 
to how far we ought to go. And the, the Jesus says, you know, like, it's the free gift. The sal- salvation is the free gift, but it will cost you everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Great true. Oxymorons. So true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can we hear a few stories of um, that you might share around the country? I think that would be really, really neat to hear. Yeah, well, there's there's endless stories, and perhaps I'll share a couple. And and Anne, um, I mean, Anne's had personal experience of, of visiting some of these places as well. But um, but I think like like what you just said, you know, would we go to church? And if you think that just a, a few years ago, suicide bombers went into churches in Sri Lanka and, and blew up three churches, and you know, killed the pastor's son. Um, and but he said, you know what we we want to say that we want to forgive those extremists mm. and say that Jesus Christ is the answer. And so, you know, do you go to church the next week, having had a suicide bomber there, or recent attacks in Nigeria where uh, over fifty people were killed in the church service, being shot down, explosives being detonated, kids were killed as well. And, you know, do, do you go to church the, the next week? And, and what do you say to that in terms of your faith? You know, was God uh, not watching it at that time? And so you, you do start to ask these, these kind of heavy questions. You must be able to tackle the moral question quite well. Is, <laughs> is God morally good by allowing all that evil and suffering? Um, do you get asked that a, a little bit since you speak on essentially the the terrible things that happen to the persecuted church and their faith through and throughout it. But then there's always that question is, how could God allow that? Well, the first, well, yeah, the first thing that Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have been <laughs> yeah, persecuted. Good. He said, if you're, you know, if you follow me, you'll be persecuted. So, so much of the New Testament comes alive when you look at it in the context of the fact that it's written by people in prison, you know, by Paul. Yeah. In prison, but uh, firstly, he never promised that we'd have an easy life, <laughs> and that if they persecute you, they'll persecute me also. So, mm. a lot of the people we um, deal with, they actually counted a joy to be considered worthy to suffer with Jesus. Yeah, and, I love um, that. They have a whole um, death and resurrection view of it that is, by participating in his sufferings, they're also participating in the resurrection. And they literally do, do face death and go past it, so there's nothing to fear anymore mm. in life. So they have such an incredible view of Jesus and an intimacy with him that we often don't get because we avoid the suffering in the first place. But, yeah. But, um, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's uh, similar to you, the Apostle Paul. Uh, I think we were talking about this the other day, um, how he most scholars now today believe that he was probably died and was resurrected multiple times throughout his ministry. So when you when you hit death that often, and it and death doesn't kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty weight. Big wake up call to the. I mean, you can see it in his letters, the way that he writes. You know, like some stuff has happened to this guy, and yeah. God is so evident in his life, his ministry, and every step that he takes, how he speaks and presents himself. He's prepared to go to prison, to be stoned, you know, anything for the cost of Christ, for the following the gospel, yeah, and just getting that message to people. 
That's right. Uh, even one of our partners, Neela, uh, in India, her husband was killed, Arif. He, he was killed for, for his faith. And so the the team, the Open Doors team, went to, to go and pray with her and comfort her and encourage her. And one of the questions that we asked Neela was, aren't you going to leave now? because it's getting too dangerous for you. Your husband's just been killed. And her response was, I'm going to continue the work that my husband and I started. If they want to kill me, they can come and kill me. I don't bother about being killed. I'm bothered about the souls God has given us in this village. Amen. Man, and you know, wow. it makes me think, so what am I bothered about today? <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what am I thinking about consuming my mind? But uh, I just think of these ones, like Anne has said, that these ones have, have faced death. And even the, mm. the church in China, the, the, the pastors and the leaders in China, they would say, don't pray that persecution would cease in China because there is an optimum level of persecution for church growth. Too much and too many people are killed, but too little and we become complacent. Mm. And so we actually need the pressures around us for the church to grow. And when I'm saying the church to grow, what I actually mean is souls being saved, people being brought into the kingdom of God, people being set free, delivered, healed, discipled, and growing in their faith. And, um, you know, do, do I dare to say that, that we need some? You know, yeah. in New Zealand, I, I, I wouldn't... Uh, Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a thought, it's just a yeah. question. Do you think that lukewarm... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Anne a, a, a chance to, to speak to this one first, and then mm-hmm. we'll go to you, Mike. And do you think that the lukewarm Christianity that a lot of the Western world has will come to an end eventually being almost you have to choose. So I had, um, just last night, we were at this amazing prayer meeting. And um, so just, you know, thank you, Rochelle, if you're listening to this episode for inviting us to that. But I had, the Lord spoke to me and he gave me a a bit of a vision. And it was, um, he, he used the analogy of the rich and the poor and the middle class. And I don't know if you two have, Heard about the middle class being squeezed out oh, yeah. and disappearing yeah. slowly, and yeah. soon there will be only rich and there will only be poor. Mm. There will be no middle class that exists. And he used that analogy to, to show that the lukewarmness and the cold and the hot and the mm. lukewarm, the lukewarm will be squeezed out, and, and that will no longer exist. It will be you either choose God or you're totally in the world. Almost it will be illegal to, to be one foot in each you're either yeah. hot or you're yeah. cold. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that that will be a reality in the coming yeah. years? Yeah. No, I, um, I've been saying it to a lot of people recently, actually, that I think the space for being a cultural Christian, that's probably how I describe it, is, is rapidly shrinking because um, you either know Jesus, you get saved by him and set free, or but just turning up at a church on Sunday and having it not affect your life is just not going to cut it anymore. So Sunday Christians. Sunday Christians <laughs> or cult, you know, going for a nice um, community and, yeah. um, you know, club. I'm defi- definitely guilty of being a Sunday Christian <laughs> um, in, in, in a previous life. I think life all of and, us and, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, to, oh, interestingly, I got to go to Niger- northern Nigeria um, before COVID. And up in the north up there is largely – is Islamic Southern Nigeria is like a different country. Got the largest churches in the world, but Northern Nigeria, Nigeria has got um, 
several states which follow Sharia law. And up there, we got to travel with a pastor, and he'd been past. What's Sharia law? Sharia law is Islamic moral code law. So uh, things that come from the Quran that say that you can cut off your hand if you um, catch someone stealing. You catch someone stealing, um, stoned for adultery, those kind of things. Because there are a few people with like one hand around. I didn't see any. We actually didn't go into any of the dangerous areas because we were at risk of being um, kidnapped ourselves. Um, It was very surreal, actually. It felt very safe. It felt very safe, but uh, there were people kidnapped when we were um, just as we were leaving the country, actually. But anyway, I was talking to the pastor there, and um, he'd been pastoring for 20 years, and he was now working for Open Doors. One of my heroes is travelling to the most dangerous places to basically seek out and see who needs support out of the Christian community. But he was saying, oh, 20 years ago, I never would have thought it would have been like this in Nigeria because they had the Muslims and Christians all living side by side together um, in harmony, um, no Islamic extremists or anything that affecting things. And then over that space of 20 years, he saw it where it's got to the point that um, you've got these Islamic groups like Boko Haram and um, herdsmen who have driven Christians out of their areas, bombed, done all of this sort of thing. So they have to live separate now. And then um, as a result of that, I mean, what you wear identifies whether you're a Christian or not. So if you're wearing the full robes, then obviously you're a Muslim. If you're not, you're obviously a Christian. So you're identified as a Christian, even if you may not personally have a, a great relationship with the Lord. And the thing that really struck me about them is that they're really normal people. They're not like, you know, we think, oh, they must be super Christians and super spiritual and whatever. And we think some of these persecuted Christians, as we label them, you know, somehow don't have a sense of humour or, or cares or worries about their families. They're, that's all about Jesus and nothing else. They actually really like mm. us a lot. But the circumstances of being, you know, um, that pressure really started with pressure and now it's more violent over there with attacks often. The the, the um, story about the church in Nigeria Mike was talking about literally happened last Sunday where 50 people were killed. Um, and that's happening all the time. But they're normal people and... Um, they, I think when they get pushed into that space of, uh, like we met um, with a group of 50 widows, all who'd had their husbands killed by extremists and some of their children as well. And um, one of the ladies, she was just so normal, she said, oh, before, she's just like us, before this happened, I thought I'd never cope if it, if it would happen. And, and then she said this beautiful thing, she said, with Jesus holding my hand, it's been okay. And now I encourage other widows. So she's faced death, faced her worst fear, and now, because she's met Jesus for real, she wouldn't give him up for anything. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, we have there are people who may we may say, oh, they're Sunday Christians or they're just cultural Christians, but when they're pushed to the wall and they find Jesus at mm. that point, it's almost like a second conversion that they wouldn't give him up, even though there's still ongoing pressures and persecution as well. So, but um, Nigeria is an interesting picture because that pastor said, look, it was, well, I never would have thought this sort of happened in Nigeria. And I think we we could say that in New Zealand, I will never never have this, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Wow. But um, yeah, it's only it's only good for us. I think you know when you discover the real Jesus in the middle of pain and suffering, most often I think. Yeah. You know, even here, you know, when we're going through hard stuff, we yep. discover the real Jesus. I love that. It's the um, almost the blessing of being persecuted in a way, and and I say this, I don't say this lightly, at all, but. From going through a trial like that, you become so dependent on Jesus that your 
intimate relationship with him has gone, you know, well past ten. Well, you know, stepped up to to level eleven. You know, well beyond that you that would ever happen in a, in the comfortable mm. or cultural Christianity, like you said earlier, and mm. and she like like that your your friend um, who's a widow. She said, you know, she she would never give up Jesus at all. You know, like almost yeah. pressure makes diamonds, and yeah. she's turned into this soldier for Christ through going through these tribulations, these trials, and and that that really reminds when we think of the Book of Acts, isn't it? You know, it's like modern day Acts, um, yeah. Acts of the Apostles <clears throat> in, in the Bible. If is yeah. a book I'm referencing for anybody that isn't sure, because um, these people in Acts they, they're going out and they're preaching the word and and I'm sure they did have sense of humors and things like that <laughs> absolutely but um what is captured is um is their heart behind their drive and that's from a, an experience that they had with Christ and then being pushed to the edge and then Christ coming through yeah. and things like that and and yeah. I I love um I love how you said earlier about you know being a Christian being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. It's more or less promised potentially the opposite. Um, you'll have you'll be hated. Um, they hated me, so they'll hate you, is the words of Jesus, you know. And, um, man, that must be just incredible to be able to work in open doors so that you're getting that reality all the time and you're able to bring that to New Zealand where at right now we're not persecuted in that sense, mm. but to bring that realization because it's not on the news. The stuff is not spoken like you get a, a school shooting on the news, you know, in, in the states or something like that. But then you're not going to get a a church that's been blown up mm. by terrorists. And where was that? That was I, in Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria. Yeah. yeah mm. Wow. So. How do you get all this information? Um, obviously through Open Doors, but there's people in Nigeria that work with Open Doors and all that. That's right. We have relationships on the ground. <laughs> and in fact, Open Doors is built through relationships. And in fact, the kingdom of God is only ever advanced through relationships. Come on. Is yeah. a, a <laughs> thought that came to me as I've been you know, working with the, the persecuted church. And so Open Doors has been around for 65 years. And so we've got 65 years worth of networks and relationships on the ground so it really is at the on the ground grassroots level and we um we have these channels of communication that come back to us now uh, we can access um, a, a portal um, called global point and for us it's a username a password and then a key code um, which which changes every every thirty seconds, and so to to jump on to that and and to oh, read wow. some of the articles. Um, and then there we get to read either level three, level two, level one information, um, not level zero. Level zero is just those who need to know. Um, level three we can talk about and publish. Um, level two we can talk about. Level one is, is in-house. So we do have to filter the information that comes through um, because primarily we, we want to maintain the safety of, of our Absolutely. people on the ground. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's organically. It's like the secret service. <laughs> it, it is, but it's 
for in, in church. That's amazing. Well, let me tell you this, that, that when ISIS came through in 2015 through the, the Middle East, that um, we got word back that there was a Syrian priest. And what he had done is he had uh, disguised himself as an Islamic fighter, and he went into IS prisons to bust out Christians. And he had busted out over 500 Christians when he shared that with us. And he said, um, it's, it's not just me. In a few years, you're going to hear some amazing stories of those who are bold for him. And let me tell you, if they caught him, they wouldn't just kill him, but they'll do it slowly. You know, mm-hmm. so he's putting his life on the line for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. And and no one's ever going to know his name. Like you said, like the Secret Service, all he'll get is a gold star on the wall, no name, no one ever knows what he's done, but he does it for for Jesus. He does it for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Jesus knows his name. Yeah. I love that. He's got um what what is it? The you have the fear of fear of the Lord or the fear of man. Wow. Um yeah. and when when you're when you're in that, that moment, you know, and if you've got fear of man, then you'd never get out and do anything like that. If you got the fear of the Lord, it's not a fear like I I ought to do this otherwise God's gonna punish me. Mm. It's this reverent fear of who God is in your life, in your heart. And that must just push push these persecuted people to that next limit, going, I know I know who's got my back, which is the King of Kings. Yeah. And even if I died in service to this, mm. death, where is your sting? Yeah. Like when you got that revelation <coughs> yeah. it just you can you can see why it goes to the next level. I love the quote, um, if you could do anything and if you if you were to do anything, knowing that you would never fail, what would you do? Wow. You know? And it's kind of like that, yes and no, like you're doing it under under the Lord and whatever his will is, he'll he'll make it work. But he's, well, I mean, who can be against you if you've got God for you, you know? I think that's the thing because they know that they can't fail when they're obeying Jesus. Yeah. So they don't have any fear. It's the having no well, pushing through the fear actually is what it is. They've walked past that wall that so many of us. Um, yeah, they still got back fear, from. eh? But it's yeah. courage is not absence of fear. Yeah, and boldness is not absence of fear. Yeah. I would say courage is obedience with fear. Still. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, put yourself into this context. Right, so there are North Koreans. Now, North Korea was number one on the world watch list for over 20 years. Um, That's become number two this year. Afghanistan has jumped to number one. So when you say world watch list... What does that mean? That's that's our top 50 countries where persecution is the most severe, ranking those countries. Yep. And so North Korea, um, it's, you know, it, it is... The, you 99% know, or something. One of the worst places, you know, or the worst place in the world to be if you're a, a Christian. Wow. Now, consider this. There, there are North Koreans who choose to escape North Korea, right? So if you're going to do that, you know that if you fail, you die. And so this is last resort, so people escape North Korea, get across into China. Some of those become Christians in China, find Jesus. Mm. Some of those at the call of God feel that God is telling them to go back into North Korea to share the gospel with just one other person. 
Now, I could tell you the, the conditions there. I mean, you know, it's in North Korea, they have a saying where, two, where, where three of us are gathered, where three Christians are gathered, one of us is a spy and will report us to the government. So you can't trust meeting together with two other Christians. So, so this is the kind of context that Christians live in. Now, at the call of God, some of these Christians choose to go back just to share the gospel with one other person or else they will never hear the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, to go back, your life expectancy in that kind of mission is, is days, perhaps weeks. I mean, you, you are noted if you leave, but now here you are, you've come back. And so I just put myself, you know, what would I do if I felt that that is what the Lord was calling me to do. But counting the cost, you know, even in fear, but in obedience, mm. obeying the word of the Lord. I think it's also understanding how um, incredible Jesus is too, because it's not the, um, it's like we had um, Bishop of Baghdad say that, um, you know, when you've lost everything and Jesus is all you have, you realise he's all you need and he's all you want. So it's not so much the you know, the actual joy of having him is so incredible for them that they just can't bear their family not knowing him or the thought of them never knowing him. So it's it's like Jesus, you know, the joy set before him endured the cross, you know. It's because of that that motivates them, not only obedience, because I don't think obedience alone is enough. It has to come out of that that incredible revelation of and relationship with Jesus that uh, that um, that motivates them to do that. And um, for a lot of them, they'll go back and they will be put in labour camps because they've escaped just for that, that thing. And they and you know we had one contact and she ended up having a church in the sewers because that was where the guards would have leased, and so literally go into the sewers, like literally into the sewers and meet and, and evangelise in those places because there's wow. nothing worse. I mean, they can't, apart from literally killing them, they're in the worst of the worst already. So they treat it as a as a mission field, which is incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. Can I ask roughly where that is? Or oh, that, In North Korea. That's in North Korea. Yeah. Okay, wow. <clears throat> so a lot of people, um, because the, the gospel is so clamped down on, they have no access to the gospel because they, even with, from what we understand, even with um, children, you know, in because a lot of North Koreans believe that the government can hear their thoughts because they're so controlled and they'll um, play games with the children saying, oh, see if you can find and hunt out this little black book. And So parents may be Christians, but they may not tell their children about Jesus until they're adults because of the, the risk. And if they are um, caught with a Bible or doing anything to do with Jesus, then not only them, but their parents and their children, the three generations will be usually put in a labour camp. Wow! If not killed, so it's it's so. So what's repressed. a labor camp? What what does that in, entail? So How in a, in a I'm <laughs> just thinking of like the German concentration camps, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Comes so to you, mind. So you really have two types of camps in North Korea. You have re-education camps and you have labor camps. Now, a re-education camp is where they believe that they can re-educate you and get you back into society. Um, that is not reserved for Christians because in their experience, um, once they have become a Christian, well, then they are a Christian uh, forever. And so, um, so a, a praise re- the Lord. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> really? <right. Yeah. laughs> so a labor camp is actually a dead end. Uh, you don't come out of a labor camp. You just work till you're dead. 
Yes, Literally, and so yeah. um, yep. you know, I, I, I won't share with you the, the the details and some of the stories of what goes on there. The point is not to give us nightmares, um, yes. but but just to just to realise that it's you know very little food, very little sleep, and there is no regard uh, for human life. I mean, dead bodies are used as fertilizer for for trees and and that kind of thing. Uh, people are digging graves continually. And hot, cold, um, you know. So, so you, you really don't don't survive very long in those places. The, the point is not to keep people alive, actually, but it is a it is, it is punishment. And so, um, you know, becoming a, a Christian in in North Korea, this is you know the the likelihood is that you will not reach old age if you are a believer in Jesus Christ in North Korea. That's the that's the likelihood. So. If it was the case in New Zealand that we would not reach old age because we're a Christian, would we have accepted Jesus? Would we be Christians right now? It's just such a a great thought. I think it's just a great thought as a part of our discipleship journey just to consider these things from time to time. Mm. Let's just think about the the cost of our salvation and, um, and what it actually means. It really fires me up, you know, hearing this stuff from you guys. You're like, yeah, I mean, you, you probably have the the idea of it, but I want to say you have no idea how much it fires me up, but you, you absolutely <laughs> do. Um, and it, it, just thinking about this sort of stuff and going, all right, I'm not going to take persecution in New Zealand as me just being offended by somebody unfriending me on Facebook or whatever it is for being a Christian, but um, going, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the opposite. I'm going to add as many people on Facebook as I can possibly, like in New Zealand, using the tool that we have. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out into the streets. I'm going to, um, you know, go meet different people, uh, really, really take discipleship seriously, edify myself as much as possible, spend a lot of time in the Word. Because even spending time in the Word, I can imagine in North Korea, I'll use that as an example. They don't even have access to it. Half the that time. would be so. So, what we the advantage that we have today mm. to edify ourselves in the word today because yes. persecution like that it could be round the corner. Mm. I mean, yeah, the Bible mm. talks about mad persecution in the last days. You know, to to be prepared for that. So, mm. uh, I love YWAM has this amazing. Um, school called word by heart which i i've never done myself but they essentially learn the word by heart that's awesome and i'm thinking man that is what we we need you know not not necessarily memorize it i don't have very good memory but um to know it in your heart and to know what the what the parables are of jesus what you know what's in the old testament um god's heart behind it and then um, with that, you know, like where, where can where can they put you after you've edified yourself like that and relying on the Holy Spirit to continually feed you? Yeah. What what can they do? Throw you in prison? You know, it doesn't really matter where they go if they strip you down of all your Bibles and yeah. anything like that. If you've got it in there, yeah, you know, yeah. One of our um, heroes, Helen from Eritrea, she was in the position where she was. Um, 
imprisoned in a shipping container for a couple of years because she was sharing your faith. And she actually just signed a piece of paper saying, um, I won't share my faith publicly. She could have got out, but she she refused. And my colleague said to her, um, I was telling you this the other day, my colleague said to her, oh, why don't you just sign the paper and then carry on you know, sharing Jesus anyway? And she said, how can I not share Jesus? He's the medicine of the world. I, I have to. But um, she was um, got to the point when in the shipping container, it was crammed full of people too, no space to lie down, and she was just sharing Jesus as a captive audience, literally. So sharing Jesus with everybody I in prison. I love that, a captive audience. <laughs> literally. But um, <laughs> the guards got so infuriated with her because she wouldn't stop that they said, where's your Bible, where's your Bible, literally what you're saying, because she's sharing scripture, sharing the gospel, mm. sharing stories from Jesus. Um, and, they said, oh, and she said, oh, I don't, it's just in my head. And so they started to beat her around the head for a couple of hours and um, she almost became comatose. And towards the end she said, look, you know, I'm, you're, I know you're just following orders, you're doing what you have to do, but I'm following orders too and um, I forgive you. And, and wow. it was just so incredible. But um, just that image of having the word so ingrained in you that if you're stuck for two years mm. that, that you can still tell the full gospel. And I've been really challenged by friends of ours who have incredible ministry but he you know he points out that so much of the world they don't actually they're illiterate so they don't read or write and um the way they learn is orally through stories and listening and um we're almost going back to that aren't we yeah yeah Yeah. and he's um just challenged us of how how much of the gospel can you tell through um and do you know that you have in your head that then you can then tell in stories and then they can then pass on and that um sharing verbally with them is um, one of the key ways to actually get them saved. A lot of um, yeah, these are millions and billions of uh, illiterate people who never read a Bible, but they uh, learn through stories. So, mm. yeah, huge challenge. It's amazing. I find, because sometimes it can be overwhelming. You think like, oh, I can't, you know, gosh, the thought I could never face that and gosh, I'm not even a Christian compared to that and whatever, but... I so I, you know these extreme stories. I try to um, bring it back to the fact, like, okay, Jesus, you must be so amazing for them to endure that. If I'm not experiencing you like that, how can I experience you like that? So that if it came that yes, I wouldn't be allowed to go to university, or no, you can't have this job because you're a Christian, um, which is a lot harder. I think you know that squeeze that subtle is a lot harder to resist. I think. But um, how can I know you, Jesus, so much that it's worth it, that it's worth losing my job or kids having no opportunities or, you know, that kind of thing, rather than going, oh, just give up now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's too hard. I can never serve you like that, Jesus. But how can I know you more? Because that's what motivates them. It's, mm. not, it's not the fear of anything, mm. you know. One of the things that the persecuted church teach us is not to fear what is to come. Um, because quite often fear can be worse, the fear of the event can be worse than the event itself. I believe that. We've all yeah. gone through COVID. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Matthew 6 says, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. 
And um, and we say that sometimes secondary trauma can be worse than primary trauma. And what we mean by that is sometimes um, family members will be caught and imprisoned. And but the 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 fear and the concern and the worry of the family outside of the prison can have a longer lasting detrimental effect on them mm. than the person who was actually in prison and suffering themselves. Yeah. And so it's something that we just need to keep in mind. And and whether or not our theology is well, look, the the world's going to get darker. Oh yes, persecution's coming. Or all that kind of thought. For for us, that should not. We should not uh, submit to or get into the mindset of fear mm. you know should pain and suffering be on the horizon um, maybe it is maybe it isn't but the Bible tells us not to fear that mm. and so we simply keep our mind and our heart and our thoughts fixed on Jesus and we just take every event as it comes just as it comes mm. and the the Lord has said that he'll give us the, the grace in those moments and so uh, we're, we're not being flippant by by saying you know let's just not worry about anything but what we're saying is let's not fall into the trap of fear let's be people of hope and expectation um, but should these events come, just to realize that we need to believe what the Word of God says, that He will never leave us and that He'll be right there with us through every situation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, isn't wow. there like 365, you know, five scriptures that say, do not fear, you know? Jesus knew that we'd have this, yeah. you know, facing us. I, I do, I totally think that the fear of things is is the big kahuna, actually not the thing itself, because that's what I've learned from all the people that we've met, is is that the thing itself is not as bad. And when you've got Jesus with you, it's not as bad as the fear of it or the, even the thought of it. And even even in my own life, I've had a couple of, of experiences where before it happened, I would have been, you know, a home invasion and things like that, really afraid of that. But with Jesus in there, it was completely different. It was like, felt like the, the, being inside the eye of a storm, just that deep peace, even though the crazy was going on. So... You know, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Um, Mike, could I get you to share the story um, of the the man in isolation and how he preached yes. through the pipes? Yeah, so so Wang Mingdao, he um, is one of the great revivalists, actually, of, of modern day, the underground church in China. And he was caught and he was sentenced. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison for sharing the gospel and for being a part of the underground church. And so he was sentenced, and so he knew what his sentence was, 22 years, but he was offered a confession to sign. And the confession simply said, I will not share my faith, and I will not meet other Christians. It's interesting how he was allowed to keep his faith. Yes, <laughs> and that isn't that you know, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think um, you know, countless times uh, people have have told Christians to renounce their faith, and time and time again, in that moment. Most Christians do not renounce their faith. And so the next stage is to say, well, okay, let's just see if we can stop this thing from spreading. Mm. And so um, trying to offer perhaps uh, an easier alternative, but but we know if we read the Word of God mm. that, uh, that we do need to be just the hands and feet of Jesus in, in, the, in the world. And so he looked at that confession, and actually in the moment, he did sign that confession and start to walk out of the prison. And so he got through the first set of gates. 
and then he got to the second set of gates and walked through those. He got to the last set of gates. Had he walked through that set of gates, he would have got out onto the street and he'll be a free man. But he felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, I cannot go through with this. I am going to share my faith. I, I am going to meet other Christians. So he turned back, went right back into that room, and he said, tear up my confession. I am going to share the gospel. And so they tore it up, and they threw him into prison. Now, he thought that, well, you know, while I'm in prison, at least I can share the gospel here. I mean, what are they going to do? Throw me in prison. I'm, I'm already here. Yeah. And so he thought, okay, well, let's just share the gospel in prison. But he was heartbroken to discover that for eight of those years, he was thrown into solitary isolation, a solitary cell where he didn't have contact with any other people. Now, as he was in that cell and when he first initially got in there, he just sat in there and he, and he thought, God, what am I going to do in this place? I want to share the gospel. But what he discovered was the pit toilet in the corner of his cell was connected to some of the other cells through the underground sewer system. And he found that his voice could carry. And so what he did over those eight years, he didn't have a church. He didn't have a Bible or a pen or a paper or a, or a congregation. But what he did was he preached the gospel down the toilet. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he just declared it down the toilet. And over the course of those eight years, he led 96 people to Christ. <laughs> I love that. And how amazing is wow. that? See, this this is, we're talking about the God of possibilities. You know, He we, we have something in our hands, and the, the Lord can multiply what he has in our hands. We can be fruitful and effective where we are. We just got to say, Holy Spirit, show me what I can do in this place. Amen. And to declare the gospel, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a gospel that reaches through the sewer of our lives. <laughs> it reaches through the sin. That's what God did to earth. He reached through and the, the message carries through that mm. dirt and mess of our lives. And as a result, people are, are, are one and, and brought into the kingdom. So, man, what, what an amazing story. I love that. I really, really love that. Um, so before we finish up, I do want to ask some advice. Um, since we've got you here as a captive audience, um, <laughs> what is some advice for people in New Zealand or people in Western countries today um, that you can give them that might not be fully aware of the persecution that happens in other countries. And, and what could you say to them while they're listening to us right now? What's something that they can take away from this episode that would edify them, edify their faith, um, or just a suggestion for, for how to live their life from after listening to this? So good, so good. Now, one of the things that that I say is, is I don't blame anyone in our context. I mean, how can you do that? I, you know, it's just like the Israelites. When things were going well, they drifted. When things were going bad, they called out to Jesus. Mm. <laughs> you know, they called out to God. And so for us, we live in the context that we live in. This is just where the Lord has placed us. So what can we do here? Well, one thing we can do is to simply be aware. I think, for, for one, we can be aware of of our wider church family 
And I mean, we've got our, our website, opendoors.org.nz, and you can read uh, the latest stories and, and you can read our blog and, and find out what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, uh, it's kind of family news. <laughs> it's just family news for us. And I think if we keep uh, in mind our brothers and sisters, because the, the Bible says that we should uh, pray for believers in prison and consider, um, uh, make it like we are there ourselves. And um, and so it's being aware, and it's praying, and I think that that in itself will help to put our lives into a bit of context. Let's just simply not forget what is happening globally. Mm. Um, that's probably for me the the biggest piece of advice. I think that's brilliant. And would you like to add anything onto that? Always got things to add. <laughs> no, um, Brother Andrew, who was the original God smuggler who started Open Doors, he always says that there's not a persecuted church and a free church. There's just one church. And I think becoming, like Mike said, becoming aware of our brothers and sisters, actually you realise that we're not all the same and that uh, we're part of this one big family. And the Bible says if one part suffers, the other part suffers with it. And I think so becoming aware of that is, is incredibly beneficial to your own faith, um, understanding, you're learning from them, just hearing their testimonies, um, like you guys are sharing testimonies, it's so empowering for your own faith. But at the same time, I think, um, let it spur us to go, I just want to know you, Jesus, like these people do, and uh, make the most of the opportunities that I have here to, like you say, get in the Word or, or to use the benefits that I have for Jesus where I am, whether it's a mum in a home or in your business or workplace or whatever. Because Jesus will open the doors um, for you if you pursue him and obey him. I mean, I've after years of following Jesus, my, my thing is just get you know learn to hear his voice and do what he says and you'll have amazing opportunities and things open up for you. But yeah, let, let them be a, a kick up the bum to go, Jesus, I just want to know you so that if anything did happen like that, then it would be a no-brainer for me. You know? mm. Oh, wow. I love that. Well, thank you guys for joining us on the Jesus Magnet podcast. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode if you're listening. So, um, yeah, if you if you enjoyed this episode, you know, obviously stay for more episodes um, like this. But, yeah, we'll see you next time on the Jesus Magnet podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.